This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Desperately clutching onto our TV guides as we eagerly await the 2020 season premiere of BattleBots this Thursday on the Discovery Channel, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with BattleBots executive producer and showrunner, Aaron Catling. We'll finish our new bot guide with six more heavyweights, Slapbox, Smee, Sporkinok, The Big Dill, Tracer, and War Easy. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have nine news items for you today. First up, if you absolutely love BattleBots and feel like you can't wait until tomorrow night for the 2020 season premiere, there's good news. The Discovery Channel is running a sneak peek tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on Josh Gates Tonight. In the episode, Josh tours the BattleBot set, coincidentally, as Mammoth prepares to fight the new spider-themed robot Black Widow. I chatted a bit with the team who said Josh originally wanted to drive Mammoth in the match, but ultimately decided to serve as weapons operator. If you want to see how the fight turns out, check your local listings and tune in to the Discovery Channel later tonight. Speaking of, the Discovery Channel is leaning into BattleBots in a big way tomorrow with an 11-hour block of programming starting at 11 a.m. and running straight through to the 2020 season premiere at 8 p.m. On Monday, BattleBots published the first fight card of the season, so I'd love to run through another quick round of snap decisions. Now, I know that we uh, already predicted a couple of these matches, but this is now for real, okay? They have uh, revealed the entire fight card, so there are a couple others here that are even surprises to us. Um, so uh, what do you guys say? Do you want to you wanna run through these real quick? Okay. Made my fight card earlier and sent it to you guys. So, um, yes, I as usual... I made my fight card and my kids made theirs and I am looking forward to being utterly embarrassed when my kids fight cards are far more accurate than mine because I overthink these things and they don't. All right. Well, let's start. Let's start off with our, our first match of the 2020 season. Whiplash versus Sawblaze. Sawblaze. Not by much, but they'll win. How about you, Chris? How about you, Lindsay? I'm going to say Sawblaze in a judge's decision, and it will be a split decision, but ultimately uh, Sawblaze will prevail. Mm. I had a, a fiery dream the other night. Um, I had a premonition. Some of my uh, ancestors came to me in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a just a, in a horrible nightmare, and they, they showed me the, the course of the entire evening, and, and they told me that Whiplash is going to win. 
I am going to also go with Whiplash. All right, next up, Mad Catter versus Fusion. We get to see Fusion, like, right off the bat. Amazing. Mad Catter versus Fusion. What What, what do you think, Kyle? Um, I'm going to go – I'm going to have to go with Fusion, but, like, that's a really tough choice. Mad Catter is uh, a very similar, if not the same, robot that fought in China and did a really fantastic job. It's a very solid machine. It's just that that swarm of bees coming out of Fusion's weapons is super scary. <laughs> how about you, Chris? How, how about you, Lindsay? Well, do you want to know what my ancestors told me, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> are, are the ancestors, you know, picking the fight cards? <laughs> you know, that's what I want to know. Uh, Chris has been heavily influenced by the season of Survivor that we just watched. Mm. Uh, and our new favorite, Phil Shepard. <laughs> Anyway, my uh, my ancestors told me that um, that Mad Catter is going to pull this out with a squeaker. Wow. Okay. How about you, Lindsay? Um. All right. So my gut tells me fusion, but I think that they might have some teething issues considering this is a brand new bot, and they might have to be able to kind of figure out their way, uh, like just figure out a few of the kinks. So I'm actually going to say Mad Catter. Interesting. Split decision. I'm going to go with Fusion. All right. Axe Backwards versus Malice. Now, wait. Uh, first off, I, I want to I just make sure that we're, you know, intellectually, uh, uh, you know, accurate here. You all said Axe Backwards like two weeks ago. So, you know. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> they have released more um, images from this fight since then. Yeah. Different angles of yeah. what's going on. And my theory about it being a mini bot, uh, it, that theory is is losing steam. <laughs> um, Are you but, so confident in your call of, of Axe backwards? No, not as confident, but I am going to go ahead and stick with it for clarity's sake. I, I want Axe backwards to win. They're the more experienced team. I like Kurt's design, um, and I want it to work. So... Just this is more of a want and not uh, not so much of a belief, but uh, I'm going to go with Axe Backwards. How about you, Chris and Lindsay, uh, sticking with your prediction, Axe Backwards? Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick with Axe Backwards. Why not? Let's let's go for it. Interesting. Interesting. Double down, on, uh, double down on, on this bold, bold move. Yeah, they're going to attack Malice with uh, their own fire. <laughs> you know, they're engulfed in and. <laughs> You know, some other going to pull it out. All right, that's great. Uh, I'm going to go with Malice because uh, I'm right. Bloodsport versus Scorpios. Clearly Scorpios, but it's going to be a really mean fight. Uh, horizontal spinners uh, just don't, they're not well suited for robots like Scorpios with their big beefy wedges and plows. It's just not, not the best matchup for them. So, uh, yeah, Scorpios. I mean, I... You know, I did say that Bloodsport could theoretically beat Bite Force this season. So I'm going to have to, I just have to say it's going to beat Scorpios. But mm, just, right. just holding by that logic. By the transitive property. <laughs> exactly. Got it. How about you, Chris? Again, my ancestors told me that um, in, in this premonition that Bloodsport would win. Mm. Only because it, they just played the, the movie Bloodsport. For me to watch while I was dreaming. I'm going to also go with Bloodsport. All right. Uh, Captain Shredderator versus Lockjaw. Ooh, this is a tough one. It's uh, a hard one. Spin to win is not going to win. 
think it is going to be Lockjaw. Sticking with that answer. Lockjaw, Lockjaw, Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Okay. Uh, Rusty versus Sporkanok. Two major friends of the pod, David Eaton and Lilith Specht. What do you say? Rusty versus the Spork. I think think the world is going to win. Oh, (laughs) yes. True story. So excited about this fight. A, love Lilith. B, love David. These two robots are awesome. Um, really excited to watch it with my kiddos. Think they're really going to enjoy this fight. I, I think I'm going to have to give it to Rusty because we all know they walk away with the nut. Mm. How about you, Chris and Lindsay? It's a real Sophie's choice. Well, I don't know Sophie, but I'm going to say Sporknock. Oh, you're saying Sporknock. Yeah, why not? All right. Just judging by my reaction <laughs> to you saying that, I'm going to follow my gut instinct and say Rusty. I'm also going to say Rusty. All right, Sharko versus Smee. Smee is well-suited to fight any robot, in my mind. Uh, and Sharko's got very unprotected wheels. I don't know, man. This is a really weird match. I this bet this is going to be really strange. weird to watch. It's going to be a very strange match. Yeah, it's going to be really weird. I, I'm going to go with, with Smee just because I, I think that those spinners will be able to do some damage on Charco. But, man, it's a weird match. It's it's like Charco's kind of like a grabby bot now. And what are you going to do when you grab, like, a 14-foot-long bendy thing? You can't throw it out of the box. Yeah, what is he going to do? He'll drive one for, one side of the 14-foot long robot into the wall and then the other side is still attacking him like it's very difficult to fight that robot yeah i'm just really interested to see how smee does um like if if it goes to a judge's decision uh how how it gets scored for damage because i'm just interested to see uh, you know obviously like the original smee the the beetle weight didn't have the horizontal spinning blades um and this one does so uh, you know, I, I'm just interested to see, like, how I, I want to call it an afterthought of a weapon, but I, I just want to see, like, you know, what mm. how it how it works in, in, in yeah. reality. Original Smee wasn't bendy either. I mean, this is the only thing similar between these two bots is their, like, proportionate length. I forgot about the bendy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, original Smee was just a wedge with two drive pods. Big, long wedge, two drive pods. And it, like, just ever so slightly lifted. <laughs> Yep, that's it. Uh, I'm still going Smee because I'm I am a big fan of it. All right, I am also going to go Smee. All right, uh, and our final match of the night, the main event: Tombstone versus Endgame. Tombstone. Tombstone. <sighs> Tombstone. All right, I'm going Endgame. Uh, if you are listening and you want to send us your predictions, if you are screaming at your uh, podcast player right now about how wrong we are, look for the fight card posts on our Facebook page and we will update with uh, our results next week. On over to Illinois, where the team behind Deadlift published a new video showing their bot lifting a 250-pound crate of spare parts with ease. The bot looks incredibly nimble in the box. Definitely a video to check out this week. On over to the BattleBots 2020 calendar, whose front cover will feature two very popular bots from Florida, Gruff, and Hypershock. The cover photo shows Hypershock engulfed in flames and pushed face first into the screws. 
Let's check in with the Wilds World of Mad Catter, which revealed on Instagram that it's running four different weapons configurations this year. A basic hammer configuration, a plow slash bar spinner configuration with a single lifting arm, a disc module with floppy wedges and two lifting arms, and a flaming hammer configuration with lifting arms. These configurations really look incredible, and I'm so stoked to check out this team's sophomore season. The team behind Sawblaze this week published video of their bot's new self-writing attachment, which sits above its saw and allows the bot to drive on its head and fire its hammer arm to self-write. Which Dr. Captain Andrea Galately is hosting a special exclusive live stream tonight at 8 p.m. for Witch Doctor supporters. So if you haven't done so already, go to Witch Doctor's Facebook page to sign up. It costs $5 per month and you'll help support the team's Witch Doctor Junior educational program. Plus, you'll have to hang out with me and BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr, which we all know is the real draw. On over to the unofficial BattleBots 2020 Fantasy League, organized by BattleBots fan Brent Von Kalamazoo. Every year, several hundred BattleBots fans join the Fantasy League, picking eight bots that they think will go deep in the competition. Brent assigned dollar values to each robot and gave people a $100 budget to pick their roster. Currently, the five most expensive bots are Witch Doctor, Tombstone, Whiplash, Sawblaze, and Lockjaw, with costs of $25 to $30 each. Meanwhile, the four longest shots, according to Brent, not according to me, are Bale Spear, Black Widow, Gamma 9, and Grabot, which will cost you just $6 each to recruit. There are a number of picks here that I don't necessarily agree with, but if you'd like to weigh in and build your perfect team, we've included a link in this week's show notes. And finally, this week's must-watch video comes from the teams behind Scorpios and Malice, who filmed a parody of the Council of Elrond called the Council of Bunny, where they discuss what it will take to win the giant nuts. There's even a perfect cameo from Bite Force Captain Paul Ventimiglia. Absolutely delightful. Go check out the video now. Before we get into our interview with Aaron Catling, let's wrap up our fourth and final installment of the new bot preview. Let's kick it off with Indiana-based Slapbox, captained by 14-year-old Bryce Yankaskis. Bryce is fielding the team with his parents, Dominic and Cynthia, and his younger siblings, Annika, age 8, and Hunter, age 11. The family has been building combat robots for two years and has competed across the country with antweights, beetleweights, and featherweights, often taking home first place finishes at big competitions like Motorama. In late 2019, the family built a heavyweight version of Slapbox, which they took to Robot Ruckus at Maker Faire Orlando. The bot is a front pivoting lifter with seven different configurations based on their opponent. It runs brushed motors for both weapon and drive and is designed to get a very zippy 18 miles per hour in the battle box. The design, CAD, and most of the parts were built by the kids and yes, the lifter does shoot fire. Your thoughts on Slapbox? I think it's old school. I think it's a lot of rectangles, um, which makes me happy. And I like the fact that it's the handprint paint job. I hope that this bot is reminiscent of Vlad the Impaler uh, mm. from original BattleBots. It seems with that powerful drivetrain big beefy brushed motors that we're going to get some of that Vlad the Impaler energy. And uh, that would be my hope with this bot. That would be really cool. I like that it looks like it comes from the press, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air universe. Mm, right. With its uh, very colorful uh, paint scheme. Got some great like 90s nostalgia feel. 
Yeah. It's pure fun. I love I love the different colored wheels. Um, I love the aesthetic of it. It's it's fun. In the photo where it's fighting Sharko, I mean, it looks like it really is is able to to do some stuff in the box too. So, you know, I'm excited to see what it can do. I think there's a lot of parallels between this team and um, the Knox family um, and uh, and their robot Rampage. In that um, these are these are both family teams, and these are both families who are obsessed with combat robotics. And you know, like this is a hobby that they do together. And they have a lot of success. Um, first place, second place, third place finishes at Motorama and at Robot Ruckus. I mean, against some of the top builders in the entire country. Um, these kids are good drivers. They're obviously good builders. They designed this robot pretty much themselves, which is just amazing. And um, I mean, like that lifting action with the fire in their match against Sharko was so good that it made it onto the, um, the like official hype reel. I really think that this is going to be a bot to watch. I'm super, super excited to check out Slapbox. Speaking of Robot Ruckus, let's head on over to Florida to talk Sporkinok, captained by Robot Ruckus organizer and friend of the pod, Lilith Specht. Sporkinok was a sprint build. Lilith got word in August that her application was accepted and she threw herself into the build. Sporkinok is a lifter slash hammer bot with a spork-shaped hammerhead. The bot is running brushless drive motors with a top speed of 14 miles per hour. The motors are mixed for weapons with Lilith running a brushed motor for the lifter and a brushless motor for the hammer. Lilith said she had to drop the bot's original flywheel design for the sake of time, but plans to revisit that weapon again in the off season. Sporkinok is painted in pink, white, and blue stripes, mimicking the transgender pride flag. Lilith is a transgender woman and the first transgender captain on BattleBots, at least since the reboot of the show, which is important because representation matters. Your thoughts on Sporkinok? Sporkinok is amazing. I had to explain to my children what a spork is because we do not often eat at Taco Bell when I was filming <laughs> this robot. Um, but they are excited to see it go. I, having followed Lilith's exploits with Robot Ruckus for a while now, her modus operandi for Robot Ruckus is organize the event, which takes, you know, everything a person has to do right. And she builds a heavyweight kind of simultaneously with that, right? Um, so by the time she shows up at Robot Ruckus and gets the arena built, she is literally just a spent shell of a human being who has just given all of her energy to both putting together this amazing event as well as building a heavyweight robot. So the fact that she built this thing so quickly, um, but while she was only building a robot and not also organizing a world-class event, gives me hope. I think that, uh, that this is exactly the type of thing that she needs, you know what I mean? Just focus on just the robot. You still don't have enough time, but it's only one thing, not a million things, like when you're organizing an event. Um, and we know that she had that really great assist at the end um, from Mary Catherine Card actually get the bot there. And uh, the paint job looks fantastic. And it was apparently done at BattleBots. So, like, I think that uh, I think that this bot's going to surprise some people and do really well. I uh, I really hope that Sporkinok, um forks up the competition. And I can't wait to see it on, te on television really spoon. <laughs> Oh my God, Chris. 
Perfect. How does he do it? Go Sparkanock. On over to New York and the very long, very delightful Smee. This is a bot captain by industrial designer Joe Fabiani. Smee is more than 14 feet long and very low to the ground with an articulating motion that makes the bot close in around its opponent, attacking its opponent's wheels with two 20-pound spinners attached to the two ends of the robot. This week, I caught up with Joe, who revealed that he initially ran into problems with his spinners in the test box and was worried that he might have to forfeit his first fight but eventually was able to iron out those problems and achieve a top weapon speed of 220 miles per hour. This is going to be such an entertaining bot to watch and might very well usher in a new meta of very low designs. Your thoughts on Smee? I could I could tell you my thoughts on Smee, but they'd be probably a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Joe and uh, one of his bots, uh, kind of a newer design called Boring over at Norwalk. Really neat idea. Really long robot. Teeny tiny weapon. Teeny tiny little vertical spinner on it. Um, he's a really clever guy. He comes up with some really great ideas. I don't know how well Smee is going to hold up against some big horizontals. Um, that would be my one concern. It seems like it's like a vertical ro- vertical spinner robot only. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea how those hinges are going to hold together. I have no idea how those spinners are going to be able to get to their opponent. It's not like Joe has a lot of room to test this in Manhattan. It's going to be very strange all the way around. I think that when you, I don't know, when people complain about, oh, BattleBots is rock, paper, scissors, like Smee is like something totally different. It's like rock, paper, scissors, and a tiger, you know? Like um, just robots are not designed to go against something that is basically as low as the floor. Um, and, you know, just given given the the kind of, weight distribution of this robot, you know, it's not like a really compact object that is going to go flinging across the box. If it comes in contact with a, with a horizontal spinner. Um, I I think that we are going to see robots launching themselves over this ramp and Snee just snapping together to attack a part of the robot that just has not been armored before, you know, um, people don't really make wheel covers anymore. Like that was kind of a a new thing that's emerged in the last two years um, because you can just kind of outdrive your, your opponent, but you can't really outdrive, you know, this kind of clasping motion around the back of your robot. Um, And I really hope that um, because this is such a new design, we're going to see uh, some pretty surprising fights and maybe kind of the return of of uh, of armored wheels in 2021 because of how successful SME is. Yeah, I I I echo a lot of questions that Kyle has and and some that I mentioned earlier in in uh, the episode, um, but they're all fun questions. Like it's fun to kind of theorize at this point, like how is this going to work? How are the hinges going to work? Like, are they going to be able to actually um, execute on their plan on getting to these unprotected areas of, of bots? Um, And 
it's it's i mean you know every season there's like a one or two bots that really kind of challenge what you think you know about what a battle bot should be and i think that this is one of those um like groundbreaking uh designs that really makes you kind of question what a battle bot is and 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 all the the unique ways that they can they can be formed and that's why i think me um is just so exciting because at this point, like we've seen it perform as a beetle weight, but how that translates to a heavyweight, it's it's going to be exciting to see because there are so many unknowns and it's just it's it's uh, hard to wrap your brain around almost at this point, but it's going to make a, for a fun watch. Very well said. All right, let's head up to Seattle to talk the big deal. This is a heavyweight lifter bot from veteran designer and builder Emmanuel Carrillo. Last year, Emmanuel appeared at BattleBots on two teams working on the pit crews for both Warhawk and Mad Catter. Under the hood, the Big Dill's chassis shares a lot of similarities to both Warhawk and Mad Catter in that all three bots are modular with independent pieces that are bolted together. The Big Dill's chassis this year has one major difference. The inner plates that mount to the lifting mechanism are different given the lifter's unique bolt pattern. Most exciting perhaps is that we can confirm that Emmanuel is bringing back the very popular mini-bot Warstop, which is repainted and rebranded this year as Spicy Meatball. Emmanuel's pit crew this season will have a couple heavy hitters from the Insect Weight division, Brandon Young from Bone Dead Robotics and designer Isaac Mailers, who is doing double duty on both The Big Dill and Malice. Your thoughts on The Big Dill? I was reading... Um a comment thread on this robot where a fan said, why do those drive pods look so familiar? Mm. And Emmanuel responded that he thinks of these drive pods as basically a kit for heavyweights. He said, think of it as a D120, mm. um, which I thought was so interesting because like, if you can develop a kit for heavyweight competition and just kind of switch out the weapon pods, switch out how those weapon pods connect to the drive pods, then you really do give yourself so many design options. Emmanuel's a really smart guy. He's been on some really great teams before. We had him on the uh, designers forum for the Orlando Maker Fair this year. Um, I'm super excited to see how this bot does. And man, more superplex bots, more lifter bots. Like that's that to me is more fun to watch uh, from like a technical standpoint than just things exploding once they hit a spinner. I'm also really excited that Brandon Young from Bone Dead Robotics is on the team. We have seen him at a ton of competitions uh, around the East Coast, and uh, maybe maybe Robot Ruckus. I don't remember. But uh, it's great to see that now he's on a team with a heavyweight. He's at BattleBots, and I'm sure you know one day he'll find himself there with a bot of his own. I would relish that. <laughs> Very good. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of Brandon. Um, we have, yeah, like we we've seen him now at a couple of of different events, and he and his dad um, are really great. Um, and they are just obsessed with robots. Like they are really kind of quintessential builders. Um, and 
they build really tough robots. So, um, so really kind of kind of seeing seeing Brandon's name for the first time on the roster at BattleBots is is great, and I'm certain that it will not be the last. On over to California to talk Tracer. This is a hard-hitting, absolutely immaculate vertical disc spinner built by Chimera CEO Jason Woods. We had Jason on the show a couple months back for a really great interview, so feel free to go back and listen to that episode. As a high schooler, Jason competed on the original run of BattleBots and appeared again in the untelevised 2009 competition, where Bite Force captain Paul Ventimiglia earned his first giant nut. In the decades since, he built Chimera, appearing twice on Shark Tank, where he ultimately raised half a million dollars from investor Robert Hershevik. Tracer has three big innovations. First, the bot isn't bolted to a traditional base plate. Instead, all of the bot's components hang from a central shaft, which should help with reliability during big hits. Second, the bot has a slightly negative front face rather than a sloped face, designed to invite its opponents into its beefy vertical disc. And finally, the team's mini-bot, Needle, is capable of lifting hundreds of pounds using a cam-lifting mechanism, where two long forks simply rotate in place. Super interesting design. I really love this bot's aesthetic. I would love to get your thoughts on Tracer. Not to throw shade at other robot podcasts, but um, I've heard on more than one podcast that you know this bot is basically just a, a Bite Force clone. Um, I think probably because of the you know similar weapon and color the scheme. Color? A color scheme. Um, <laughs> if, if all you had to do to win four giant nuts is to paint your bot blue and white, like sign me up, you know? Yeah, this is a very different idea from Bite Force. Bite Force is just kind of like refined version of the meta, right? Like how can we make the meta in the best way humanly possible? Whereas this is like kind of a new telling on that same meta, you know, the, the idea that these these side plates are so quickly and easily interchangeable and everything can be flipped out like right down to the body in no time flat. Um, it's an interesting design. I question how smart I understand the logic behind like attaching everything to the weapon shaft. I am not sure how that will work because mm those weapon to weapon hits in this competition are so big and they create so many, you know, kilojoules of force. You've got so much energy kind of backflowing into that weapon. And if that's also the frame of your robot, I mean, I, I just don't see how that's not going to cause kind of alignment issues with other components after a fight or two. I could be wrong. I mean, the, the idea is that the weapon shaft is the thickest and strongest part of the bot. So obviously that's what everything should be kind of connected to. Uh, but I, I'm just not sure how that's going to work. Why? Because it's never really been done before. So, hey, we'll see how it goes. And finally, let's wrap up this year's new bot preview with Houston-based War EZ. 
This is a fire engine red four-wheeled vertical disc spinner made by rookie builder Jonathan Juarez and his 11-year-old son, Dylan. In test videos, War EZ attacks various household items. Most impressive, perhaps, is when the bot attacks a mini fridge, splitting the fridge's door in two. Jonathan is an RC airplane builder and works on custom cars through his company, Chassis Fab. Your thoughts on War EZ? I think it looks really cool. Um, you know, it has uh, it has vibes from like a Hypershock or Witch Doctor. Uh, I kind of like this big heavy bar. Um, it's, uh, it really doesn't have a lot of defensive posture, especially around the wheels, around the side, just kind of has like these two small plows, uh, uh, on each side of the weapon in the front. Um, but you know, the overall thing looks pretty sleek and, you know, as if the thing could be piloted well, I think that it, you know, kind of stands that, that same uh, chance that like a hypershock has. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, I'm seeing it in action. That thing is chonky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are big wheels. That bar is big. It is just a chonky bot. I really, um, it's it's fun. I mean, those look like car tires, <laughs> at least in that picture. And it, yeah. it you really, I, I think this bot more than more than even a lot of the other ones, like really gives you a good sense of just how big these things are. Um, and man, if, if I came across that somewhere, I would be, uh, extremely terrified of it. it. It looks like it could do a lot of damage, um, and, and really get in there and, and just use its force to, uh, to mess some things up. Yeah. This, this looks like a really immaculate build. I mean, I think when you look at other robots, it's kind of, you can kind of see where their pedigree comes from. Like, it's very clear that Jonathan builds cars. Yeah. It looks like a car. It looks like a supercar. It looks like, I don't know, a battle car. Um, it looks like it's ready for off-roading. It's awesome. <laughs> it looks so pretty. Um, and I guess the big question is, you know, does building cars kind of translate into building uh, cars with weapons, you know? <laughs> My question is this. Have we seen a video of the self-writing mechanism work yet? I don't think so, no. That could be a problem. Mm, okay. That's that's my... Like, folks like to show off their self-writing mechanisms. Even Deep Six showed off their self-writing mechanism before they, you know, had it taken out this season. It's odd that we haven't seen this robot self-writing mechanism work yet. Just saying. Right. Yeah, it, it looks a little bit like Hypershock, kind of like early Hypershock's um, self-writing mechanism. Um, like maybe and that worked great. <laughs> right. Like maybe it's just enough to, to get it back over. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's kind of the, the classic challenge with, with four-wheel um, designs, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just not sure. I mean... I, this is maybe just a, uh, just you know they they never got around to showing it or or like whatever, but eh, mm. that makes me a little concerned. Other than that, yeah, bot's beautiful. My favorite shot from their build so far was when they had all of their like components laid out on those um, those moving blankets in the driveway. Uh, so it looked like like a kit, you know what I mean? It looked like something that you would buy from the store and assemble. Um, it's a pretty build. I'm really excited to see it. Um, we'll say it once again. War, not easy. Don't know what they're getting off with with that. And that's it for this week's news and new bot preview. 
After the break, our interview with Aaron Catling. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, BattleBots executive producer and showrunner, Aaron Catling. Aaron has spent the majority of his career in television, working on shows like Big Brother, MasterChef, MasterChef Junior, and Hyperdrive. In 2015, he signed on to produce the reboot of BattleBots, and since then, has helped shape the look and feel of the show. With the 2020 season of BattleBots literally right around the corner, we thought this would be the perfect time to catch up with Aaron, learn more about what happens behind the scenes at the show, and get his thoughts on season five. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you very much. That was a hell of an intro. Nice work. I appreciate it. I wrote it all myself. (laughs) Very good. Very good. It was Luke. It was Luke. (laughs) So Aaron, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, It's been a long time coming. This is very exciting. We're so glad to have you here. Would you, would you, for all of our fans out there, introduce yourself and talk to us about some of the shows you've worked on uh, before BattleBots. Give us a quick rundown of your resume. Yeah, sure. And first off, let me just say uh, how thankful I am to be on the show. I love what you guys do and uh, have been listening from afar for a while. You know, I love the interaction you have with our build community and the hardcore fans. And I'm really excited to be here talking to you guys today. Um, you know, my career started in TV back, you know, I was actually a pre-med student, graduated at 19 with a medical science degree, was going to go into medicine, and uh, a, a bit of a tragedy happened to a friend of mine, decided to grab a backpack and start traveling the world from Australia, and uh, traveled the world. Along the way, met a wonderful, beautiful lady from upstate New York, my wife, um in dublin of all places and uh she said hey you really enjoy writing why don't you uh maybe do something with that i ended up going to film school um doing you know film and tv uh you know made some short films a little indie stuff like everyone does and ended up in tv and unscripted tv which was really taking off at the time and worked my way up in the ranks in australia and made a lot of shows like big brother and uh so you think can dance and idol and a lot of big shows. And then when my wife and I had our first child, Annabelle, we decided to uh, make the move to, to America and uh, came over here and ended up landing on MasterChef over here and uh, was fortunate enough to be the co-executive producer for about 100 episodes of MasterChef and MasterChef Junior. And uh, all through my career had been a whole lot to do with sports. Uh, big sports junkie, um, basketball, uh, cricket, rugby league, Australian sports, but also American sports. So, you know, big uh, American football fan, big basketball fan. And uh, and so I'd just always been uh, interested in the crossover between unscripted TV, sports and entertainment. Um, when I was younger, I was a hardcore fan of like WWF and stuff like that back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so, you know, jump forward to 2015 and um, BattleBots had just done a deal. Greg and Trey had just done a deal with uh, my big boss, Chris Cowan and Lloyd Braun, who uh, Lloyd's company, Well Rock Industries had just gone into deal with BattleBots to, to do the show with ABC. And they were looking for someone to come in and run the show um, who had fresh ideas 
and uh, I was the lucky one. Now, I have a question here from Jake Anderson, who asked something that I'm also very interested in. What exactly does a showrunner do? Jake says, uh, I, I know, of course, but my friend would like it explained for him. And I'm curious, is it is it is it like Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman? Are you are you dealing with bearded ladies and and elephants bouncing on on beach balls? Like what's going on? Yeah, I wish I was that cool. Uh, basically, just imagine every facet that goes into making a TV show. Um, but ultimately, it has to go through the eye of a needle, and that needle is me. So, whether it's casting Chris and Kenny, finding Farouk. Uh, working out what bots, uh, you know, should in some ways be on TV. I work with Greg and Trey and Pete and those guys on that. Working out the matchups, editing the show, running the team who puts together the show, running the camera team, running the, you know, picking the director, picking the location, um, pretty much everything. Once a network says, we want to make this show, then everything else kind of falls into my scope. Um, with the help of all the other talented EPs. So my big boss, Chris, Greg and Trey, our wonderful partners at BattleBots, and, and obviously Tom Gutteridge as well, who has been with us now for a number of years. We're kind of like the little, you know, bot brotherhood who kind of helps bring it to life. But in my, you know, but on other shows like Hyperdrive, for example, that's just kind of a, you know, we, in that case, it's a concept that, you know, I help create. Netflix says, let's do the show, let's do 10 episodes, and the rest is up to you. It's kind of like you've pitched them a creative and a format, um, and then it's ironing out those bugs, trying to make the best TV you can. Um, and so generally, you just bring all the learnings from however you've gotten to this spot. Some people get, most people get to this spot through the key creative roles in television, so uh, you know, on scripted side, generally you work in a writer's room and you're a writer and then you become a co-EP and then you become a showrunner uh, when it's your show. Um, on the unscripted side, it's a little different. There's kind of more the format, say, exists of a show like American Idol. And to mix it up, they might go, let's get a new showrunner. And so that person will come in with new ideas, um, possibly mix up the talent a little bit, change some format things and is generally the person who runs the show. So anything to do with what goes in front of or behind the lens ultimately comes through my scope at some point. But I always obviously have to work within the restraints of our broadcast partner, um, my big bosses, the BattleBots brand. And so it becomes kind of a collective thing. But at the end of the day, in terms of who delivers the episode to the network and whose butt is on the line, it's kind of mine. Sounds like an EP role, but with more heavy lifting. Yeah, I mean, there are EPs. There are all sorts of EPs, right? There are EPs by name. There's EPs who help you get the show made because of their business contacts and their business acumen, acumen etc. The showrunner is generally a term that's come to be used for the EP who does the day-to-day -day work. You know, so Chris Cowan, for example, who's an EP who's my boss, He's just as intimately woven into everything. Um, it gets to be actual the day to day from running a meeting with our twenty something editors this morning and our eight producers, through to doing an online session, doing an offline review, talking to legal, talking to builders, you know, everything from COVID protocols to whatever kind of lands in my lap. It's it sounds like almost a, a conductor for a symphony. 
Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're more, you're a manager of everything, um, been an owner of only the final product, mm. you know? So it's one of those things where coming up when I was a producer, you can Mike, you can own your cut really well. Like, let's say I was doing the episode that's going to air on Thursday night. If that was my episode, then I know every inch of that and I've made every choice, every word is there because I want it to be. Um, then as you move up the managerial ranks, you kind of learn how you've got to get the best out of everybody, still have your impact on the show and get your uh, terminology and wisdom in there without necessarily being there right with the editor every 10 seconds of the day. So um, it kind of, you know, like, like most management roles, it becomes uh, more about getting the best out of the team. And I've been very blessed to have incredible teams over the last five seasons with BattleBots. Um, and so, you know, they, they make us look good every week. So I, I just, I know we don't have a ton of time for questions, but I want to drill down into one of the things that you said before was it that you mentioned, did you, did you find Farouk? Because finding Farouk, I think, sounds like a very exciting twelve-part miniseries, <laughs> and that could be a pitch for your next show. I mean, I would definitely say that Farouk found himself because he's amazing, um, and he's a dear friend, um, and a very important person on the show. So, you know, to to understand that genesis, so basically, I was down in Australia working on the Australian version of Shark Tank when I got the job. Um, I was doing a little two-month stint in Australia and I was meeting with Chris Cowan and the heads of ABC um, and convinced them that I was the right man for the job. Um, I'd watched the Comedy Central version. I'd watched Robot Wars when I lived in the UK. And so I had a working knowledge of it. And my biggest thing, my selling speech to everyone was kind of like, look, you know, the era of making fun of the geek is over. I'm a pretty happy card-carrying geek. Um, and I'm only a micro geek. My brother is a massive geek. Like he's like the doctor who every layer kind of guy, I'm just a peripheral, you know, I can talk star Wars with the best of them. I'm not going to get hardcore in the doctor who or star Trek like my brother would, but I have an appreciation for it. Right. And so I was just like, look, the, the days of making fun of the geek are over. What, what the builders do is incredible and inspiring and let's say that these are the people everyone should be looking up to let's say that the creativity and ingenuity that they display on a daily basis are things to aspire to rather make fun of and let's make this their olympics their march madness and let's make them heroes and let's make my little girls want to be andrea want to be zoe want to be leanne um and let's do it for all the right reasons let's do it for an agenda towards stem Let's do it because it's a cool thing to do. And at the end of the day, the 250-pound robots of destruction trying to kill themselves. Like, it's amazing. And so I just went in there with kind of a giddy enthusiasm that I think injected um, everybody with some excitement. And so from day one, we were like, look, we want a cool, young, fresh voice. We don't want, you know, a stuffy old dude being the ring announcer. And I loved uh, Mark Barrow back in the day. You know, I think he did a great job. Um, but we were just looking for someone younger and cooler. And amazingly, in my crossover of things that I'd done, Farouk was on MasterChef as a contestant in season one. Um, I joined in season two, but Farouk was part of a really important moment in MasterChef history that we all talked about in the edit. So I knew <laughs> Farouk from that. 
and then bizarrely one of the first people I hired was a gentleman named Mike Burks who was like a, in the Hall of Fame for like sports broadcasting and he had done a direct TV Xbox event I think it was with Farouk three or four years ago but and that was 2015 so it was probably like 2011 2012 and I was talking to him about my vision for what the the box announcer would be and he was like, hey, I'm going to bring in a DVD of this guy from this direct TV thing I did. And the moment uh, me and Chris saw it, we were just like, oh, that's the guy. And then the moment we talked to him on the phone, we're like, that's the guy. And he's the guy. Yeah. That's that's fascinating um, to know that he also has cooking in his repertoire is uh, is hilarious. Um, so <laughs> let's... let's uh, Let's let's just take a look quick from 2015 to 2019. Can you tell us the story of how you got involved, uh, you know, in in 2015 and how um, you've seen the show evolve and how you've helped the show evolve, uh, you know, over the several years uh, leading up to now? I mean, I think the biggest thing is obviously we've learned a lot and I've learned a lot and how I've been really lucky to do that is this is one of those shows you know, I'm, I'm a freelancer by trade, you know, so, you know, I just go from show to show and I've been fortunate enough the last five years of my life has been predominantly battle bots. Um, but I like to dive two feet in at the deep end of the pool. So the moment I started, I started just hanging out with people like Greg and Pete and learning the rock, paper, scissors of it all. And being around Greg and Trey, you know, they're walking encyclopedia of robot combat. And so I learned a lot from them. And then that first season when we're in Vallejo, I mean, anything that could go wrong did go wrong, it felt like. I mean, we had Netgate as the very first fight, um, which was, you know, exactly what you need when you're getting your first shot to be a showrunner and, the you know, ABC is standing behind you and it's the first fight and Derek does the box and everyone looks at you and goes, uh, what happens now? And I'm like, uh, good question. We will figure it out. You know, and eventually it came back and we ended up having the, you know, came up with the idea of them doing the kind of uh, the uh, friendly competition rematch. And and it ended up being a fantastic wrinkle to uh, the season that no, you know, never would have seen coming. And so we went from knowing very little to I'd like to think over the last five years, um, starting to know a lot more. And um it's been really fantastic in the ABC days. I mean, the poor live audience from season one, you know, I, I wish I could drag all of them to, you know, I wish anyone could have come to season five, but, you know, by the time we got to season four, like we're humming now as a live event, as well as a TV show. And it's such a more entertaining experience. So those, those poor people in on Mare Island in season one, um, I feel the pain and I was in there trolling myself on Reddit um because it was it was you know it was what happened was you've got BattleBots, which is a live entertainment spectacle a live event running smash bang into a tv show and at first the two weren't set up that way like unscripted television doesn't quite work the way BattleBots works and so in season one when we didn't know very much we kind of ended up running into those uh, binary opposites, shall we say. And then over the time, we've kind of sorted through the code. Um, and that's been just a lot of hard work and diving in and talking to smart people. And, you know, the builders, as much as anything, have been incredible. You know, I've been very lucky 
over the years, you know, the I think it was 26 builders at the end of the day who were on season one who were there. And, and I still remember very clearly the speech before day one when I just stood in front of them and just said, look, we're going to try to make the best TV show we can. It, it's not always going to be perfect, but hand on my heart, we're just here to shine a light on what you guys do and we're visitors. We will keep learning as we, as we go and we'll get better. And we maintain that now. And it's an ethos I have that I guess I always want us to get better. I always feel like I've been very blessed to be welcomed into this community by Greg and Trey um, and that Chris Cowan decided I was the guy to run it. Um, and so I, at every stage of it, go to the builders and say, help me make it a better show. And for the help of people like Paul Ventimiglia and Mark Tvitz and Ray and Andrea and Mike and Will, um, you know, Xander Reason, so many of the, uh, you know, the OG season one people really helped define who I was. And I then dove in and started, you know, I went to Robo Games and, uh, you know, I, I deliberately uh got to know the politics of robot combat and tried to diffuse things where i could and where there was kind of hypocrisy in the early days of people not being able to compete in robot wars and battle bots we tried to carve through that spider's web and you know things like when me and greg went and uh had a meal uh you know with the showrunners of of robot wars um during the time of robo games a few years ago that was a real highlight for me. That was like, man, we've really, you know, I've actually managed to carve through some of this, you know, 15 year history at the time of kind of like, there's just so much uh, history to, co- to compete with. And, and, uh, and so I'm really glad now that I feel like it's a very inclusive. Everyone comes and competes and is in the spirit of it all. And, and so much of that stuff is behind. And now we're able to, you know, in a non-COVID year, like we were looking at having, you know, Dave Moulds and Alan was going to be over and John was coming and, you know, we we're getting Blade from South Korea and, you know, we've got the Chinese bots now and, you know, it, it's just uh, and not to mention, obviously, you know, people like Marco, etc. We've just been so blessed to kind of make it an inclusive world. I can't forget Grant Cooper and all that who's been invaluable from day one. Um, we've just been, I feel like it's a more inclusive open world now and now it's just about bringing a cool robot and having cool fights and that's what it should be so I'm pretty proud of that over the last five years yeah it, 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 honestly from all of the engagements that we've had with all of these incredible builders that have like these really diverse backgrounds I could only imagine that you know that 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 diversity helps you organically build a narrative whereas you know, in the beginning and you don't have those relationships and you don't understand those backgrounds uh, quite as well that, um, you know, together, like this community helps shape narratives and actually shapes rivalries. And Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that that's what makes the show, uh, you know, continually season after season after season, more and more and more exciting. And that's the great thing is the builders will do more naturally than we ever could. Uh, trying to twist an invisible mustache into doing things, you know, like, um, you know, Derek found a loophole in the rules, you know, Chuck created the de-icer and beat Ice Wave when we didn't think anyone was going to beat Ice Wave at that point. Um, you know, had the pleasure of getting to know Nola Garcia and her amazing team from Florida. And we had, 
everyone's super excited about and then their robot kind of didn't work all that great like the best laid like the thing i've learned robot combat is you've got to adapt at every level um to what what that tournament presents in front of you because you can't go in with a prefix plan you know we come up with the fights that night after that day's fights um it's you've just got to be fluid you've got to roll with it and no matter how much you may go into it i mean tombstone beat is a great idea like that was the very first fight i ever scheduled for season one was tombstone beta because i wanted to see it so bad you know then there's a plane fiasco in season one um you know so then it's like well in season two you can't just come out and go straight for it because you know so then you've got to try to get it to happen and and all those kind of things so it's you know it's programming the fights and scheduling the fights is so much fun you just try to set everyone up to succeed and for cool fights to happen and then sit back and watch what they do because they'll always surprise you and impress you with what they do. Mm. Can you take us through uh, a day in the life uh, at BattleBots? You know, can you in in your role like what's your what's your day to day look like? Are you are you sitting in the control room? Are you are you out on the floor? Are you putting out lipo fires? Like take us <laughs> through take us through the day. So I'll take you for a non COVID year because that's way more fun. Um, so. You know, basically what I've learned to do over the years is walking the pits is my greatest asset and just, you know, walking around, talking to builders, taking the temperature of everybody. So generally the the super fun part of programming the fights, that's where my day ends. But the day begins with, you know, I've announced the fights either at the end of the evening or we've released them via Discord or an email or whatever. Then the next morning, um, you know, Pete hits the ground running, I hit the ground running, Greg hits the ground running, and we're, we're basically trying to find out what are the problems with today's fight card, who's having troubles, who's not going to be ready, working out what the contingencies are. I'll use Will as an example because Will is always in trouble. Um, what do we do if Hypershock can't make it? Who will they fight instead of that? What does that do to the overall fight card? So that's kind of the first hour then it's kind of a debrief with Chris and Kenny. We go through the script that was written the night before. Um, I talk to them about any intel I've got from the pits that morning, any of the things we're planning to do from a TV side that may be unusual. At the same time, the sideline person, whoever that may be, so in the early incarnation it was Allison, then it was Jessica. Last couple of years it's been Jenny. Um, it's making sure they hit the ground running and know what they're doing that day and the stories we're targeting. Um, then once you know, we're about an hour from showtime now, it's making sure the scripts are impromptu, that the writing team's ready, that they've got all the Farouk set up and everything like that. Um, then, you know, in general, then that's when we load the audience about one hour before roll. Um, but leaving the audience out of it, then, you know, me and Greg will meet a couple of times during that half hour, just kind of like updates where are people at, what's the queue of the fights looking like. Because as you know, they almost never happen in the planned order. They kind of, we bounce around as people are ready. Um, and then from, you know, the session will begin. We'll put cameramen on cans, uh, you know, 15 minutes before we roll. We'll do the Chris and Kenny opening. Um, and then we'll, you know, we may take one or two stabs at that. And then we'll jump into fights. And then I'm in the control room uh, behind our director, Ryan Polito. 
Um, and then the next, you know, eight hours is a blur of communication with Ryan, our director, and me and Greg, um, and then the other EPs as well about how things are unfolding, talking to Chris and Kenny, uh, helping helping them on the fly. This happened. Hey, don't forget that they fought in season two. That would be a nice thing to mention here, things like that. Um, and we basically just power through the day. While we, you know, so the fights happen, uh, good, bad, ugly, everything happens that, you know, for various fights, I'll run back into pits and either high five the builders or commiserate with them or whatever. Um, and then basically once the shoot day is over, then the next day of work begins. So then I gather the script writing team. We go through the script that they've been building while we were shooting for the next day. Usually we shoot two or three episodes a day. So there's two or three scripts to review. Um, we start reviewing all the Farouk lines, um, you know, so it usually takes three or four Farouks per bot to get one that we think works. So you're going through maybe 100, 160 of them. Uh, so then you finish that maybe two, three hours after the shoot ends. Um, and then by that stage, Greg and Pete come talk to me and we talk about the bots and how they've recovered or not recovered. Um, and then we, you know, then I start doing the fight card. Um you know, I usually take a crack at it, share it with Greg and Pete who punch holes in it. Um, and then usually somewhere around the 18th, 19th hour of the day, we publish it, sleep for a few hours and then do it again. Exhausting. But very, <laughs> very fun. Incredibly fun. Like the best summer camp ever. Put it that way. I think we just found the title of the episode. <laughs> it's honestly, I wouldn't, it, it's, it's one of those things there, you know, uh i'm i'm very lucky like there's a lot of jobs that you do as a freelancer or even as a showrunner uh where you know there, there comes a time you shut the door and say now's my time this show isn't one of them and i wouldn't have it any other way like i live and breathe this very happily um and because i think it shows i think it shows it showed in the early days to greg and trey and pete and that's why they've trusted me over the years um, I think I've shown it to the builders over the years that I genuinely care about them, their well-being, their bots' well-being. I know that this is something they spend a lot of their own personal money doing. It takes away time from their family. They've got to take up vacation days to come. You know, they're nowhere near compensated as well as I wish they were. Um, and so I'm always very well aware of that and and very aware that we have no show without them. And that I'm just a lucky idiot who gets to point a camera at it, um, and so I think uh, that's that's part of this. You know, that's that's what I like to think is part of the reason why it's been a success the last five seasons. Is I think that comes through that passion on every level of the crew, um, because there is there is literally 250 people who are incredibly passionate um, about their job on BattleBots. Um, and you don't get to say that every day on every TV show you make. So that's a real, it's fantastic. So, so in that vein, actually, I was hoping that we could take a few minutes to kind of speculate about the future. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about, um, I guess this is a three-parter, the future of BattleBots uh, and the future of the sport of combat robotics itself. And, uh, you know, I'm curious with like the absolute surging popularity of the sport, you know, in, in parts of Asia, like how do how do you um, go about making sure that 
battle bots is at the forefront of of when you know when people are thinking about combat robotics in in the in the way that the, the world is very quickly turning its head uh, to the sport. I mean, that's it's it's a wonderful thing, right? And I think we felt it even five years ago. And when I met Greg and Trey and did my research, what I realized was that we had to help keep BattleBots where it was already, which was the Formula One of robot combat. It had to be the premier competition that everyone wants to get into. Um, and But obviously along with that comes the dire need for feeder competitions, for open leagues, for teams to get time on, on the floor, stick time. So really part of my vision, and I don't, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not an owner of BattleBots Inc. Um, I'm just a stakeholder in a TV show, um, a hired one at that. But I do live and, and bleed this stuff. And I think my big desire is for robot combat to continue to shape out, you know, things like Norwalk, Havoc and things like that, you know, the competitions down in Florida, what Robo Games used to be, you know, the sport doesn't exist without that stuff. It doesn't exist without Beetleweights, without people getting to try to change the paradigm, to create new matters, you know, it, it, you need that stuff. And so personally, I would love to see it extend, um, you know, to areas you know, and I think you were mentioning it the other day that uh, I think it's Austin from Norwalk, you know, that he wants to get it going on Twitch and things like that. That's where we've been looking to is that can we have a permanent box somewhere where people can come fight on weekends? It's streamed on Twitch. You know, is it Beatles? Is it 30 pounders? Is it true middleweight 125s? You know, that there's a competition that you know that every Friday, Saturday night you can go get a fight at the battle box and it will be streamed and you can test to your heart's content. And then when you get ready enough to hit the big leagues, um, your team's incredible. I think we've seen, I mean, with teams like huge, you know, I still remember watching that versus Megatron at Motorama. Um, and, uh, you know, and so it was a, it was a joy to program huge in season three because I knew what Jonathan was capable of, when everyone else who wasn't a hardcore combat roboticist had no idea what was coming. And so watching the network and watching even my big boss, Chris, watching his face light up as he just went, what the hell is that? And I was like, wait for it, wait for it. Um, and Jonathan just proved us right over and over and over again. That's, that's what we need. Like this year we've got, you know, pain train, you know, coming in, you know? So it's like, you know, watching Shredder bro, it's like you can, you know, these things happen for a reason. The reason we, the bots are evolving and getting better is because of competitions like that, things like mass destruction. Every, like it's just this, I can't say enough for the grassroots passion that everyone who listens to this podcast, I'm sure, has. And I just want everyone to know that there are people in the building who actively see it and care about it. And we want to help raise a flame as much as anyone um and i definitely want to see more of an open i would love to see you know an open contest where you just you, you come down and you try to make it into the tournament you know the tv show is always a hard thing right because 
there's a ridiculous price per minute in the battle box when we're pointing the entire army at it. You know, the I won't divulge the numbers, but, you know, there is a cost per fight. And so every fight is a five-figure investment in the two teams who get to fight. Um, and so that, you know, that that's why, you know, we have to guard those spots sometimes harder than we'd like. I'd love to have everybody come and compete. Um, and eventually maybe we can through things like a, like a, a full-time box um, where we can shoot, you know, to our heart's content. That's probably something like it. And then just to how to stay on top, I think we've just got to keep pushing the envelope, programming fights well, um, adjudicating well, changing the rules when things don't necessarily go the way um, it fe- the world feels like they should. Um, and keep making a better competition, more transparency. I very much, you know, it, it's hard because TV is an insulated thing. Um, you know, and we, you know, by its nature, it's a little secretive um, because you don't want things getting out to the masses too soon because what if that means somebody won't watch? Um, at the same time, I see a really important function in, in getting enough information out to the grassroots so that they can, uh, be out there advocating for it. So um, long way around, we've got to keep making a good show and builders got to keep building and hopefully we can give them opportunities to get better because that's what's going to keep elevating it. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much for that answer. This is this is Lindsay now. Um, hey, Lindsay. hey, so we have a ton of listener questions and I know that you have a lot to do today uh, to, to get the show out there. So I want to you know, be mindful of your time so we can treat this like a speed round. All right. So the first question here is from the Big Dill team member, Brandon Bennett Young, who wants to know, did you have any prior experience or knowledge of BattleBots before the reboot? And have you grown to love the sport more through working on it over the past couple seasons? It's a great question. So I had watched the show as a fan in Comedy Central days uh, and Robot Wars in the UK. Um, and then that was it. Uh, March 2015, that was all I knew. Um, and then, like I've been saying, dove in two feet. Um, and I think I've learned a lot. Um, and a lot of it's been through being active, going to Robo Games when it was around, watching every stream that comes up, being an active person on Reddit um, under a few little secret troll names I have, and, uh, and being in the forums and communicating with people, talking to all the builders, um, I feel like I know a lot more now, um, and I'm a massive fan. I mean, I, I, I don't want to call myself the biggest fan, but I, I just love seeing the builders do what they do, and I love when they get to have a great moment, or what I call a Wonder Years moment. You know, like when back in the old show, the Wonder Years, like Kevin would hit the game-winning home run and be like, I was never the same after that game. I want everyone in the box to have that kind of moment, you know? So I want everyone to get a chance to do what they've tried to do, you know? So, you know, like this year, I'm so proud of someone like Craig Danby who, you know, through Predator and Foxtrot, things didn't necessarily work out great. Um, but I'm so glad he came, he keeps coming back and he's such a, such a great guy and a determined fighter. Um, you know, you just you, you want these guys and girls to succeed. You want them to do better. Um, and so it's great. I, I absolutely enjoy it. 
Yeah, I, I feel like you can really feel that love through the show, and I think that positivity really translates on through to the BattleBots like fan community itself, which is by and large a really open, accepting, you know, supportive, supportive community. So I think it just trickles down from there. And it's hard too, like in the early days of ABC, you know, it's robot combat, so so much of it was like, oh, let's get, you know, let's have rivalries and 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 you know banging the glass and fighting and it's like it's not that community you know like everyone helps each other there's still great victories and saddening losses um but you don't have to do it from the you know here's the evil henchman character you know like it's uh and so that's been an interesting thing getting as the executives above me too evolve and get to know the sport better and realizing again that what the builders will naturally do is far more entertaining than anything that we could think up um, behind the scenes. I love that. Um, so Brandon has a follow-up question, which I think is really interesting. Uh, what are some factors you look for in robots when you figure out fights, uh, the order of fights, how to edit stuff, etc.? I mean, it's a real chess match. I'm not going to lie. Like each fight card, each fight, each episode is its own little narrative arc. So I think of the overall season much like in the terms that a screenwriter would think of a movie. I think of it as 12 acts. And so let's take someone like Jameson, for example, right? If I think of Jameson and Sawblaze, then across the regular season, he's going to have three fights and then hopefully make the round of 32. So I want to think of his journey across the season like that. So who's his opening matchup? What's a good way for his act one to begin? What should be his act two depends largely on how his act one went. And then what should his act three be? What should be his match before the tournament? That really matters on how that's gone. And so basically I do that times 59 for the bots in the field and you just go, okay, what can you do? What's their trajectory? And over time, time they've kind of fallen into a few different groupings is kind of like the big guns the top 12 or so robots who kind of cycle through the main events and rotate between they're largely going to make the round of 32 almost regardless based on their record their history and one thing that often gets forgotten in the playoffs it's about your ability to actually win five fights in two or three days can you rebuild you know, going back to, you know, what was obviously a big controversy, the bombshell uh, making in the playoffs when they had lost um, and then getting the upset in the playoffs, that was because I knew Mike and the guys could rebuild, you know. So that was one of those things where um, the rebuild really does factor in all the heritage of the team and what they mean to it, you know what they mean to the sport. And then there's everyone along, you know, so you've got the big guns, then you've got kind of like the new up and comers. Right. And so Jameson's a great example, right? You take him from overhaul days, um, then to early saw blaze, you know, the uh, controversial didn't use the saw um, fight, um, you know, to now Jameson's on the marquee is one of the big guns. Right. Um, and that's the trajectory I'd love for everybody is, you know, and over the way, you know, Jameson's gotten to prove himself in bigger and better fights. And, you know, me and him have had conversations. I'm like, dude, you're going to get a big gun and, and this is this is your shot. Like, let's do it. Um, and then he's more than lived up to that. Um, and so that's kind of how things evolve. Then you get new bots with a pedigree 
you know, so it might be, you know, a team like Bloodsport, who I knew some of the team members. Um, so they're not coming in as a rookie per se when they're rookies because I know their pedigree a little bit. Um, or it could be someone like Pain Train, who I know where they've come from and what they can do. They've never done it at 250. Um, and so, you know, or Emmanuel with Big Deal, you know, I know he's been on teams before and it looked like a solid bot. So you're always just setting everyone up for, okay, what kind of tournament are they going to have? They're an unknown bot. You put them, you know, who are you putting them up against that it gives them a chance to shine and show what they do, show whatever their rock, paper, scissor is. And then you start reevaluating as the results start rolling in and you go, okay, well, that didn't quite work out as I expected. So now they're going to face someone else who's maybe had a fight that didn't go very well the way I expected. And one of them is going to come out of that now on an upward trajectory. Um, and then there's other fights where you just know it's impossible to kind of take on Hydra, Tombstone, Witch Doctor, Yeti, uh, you know, back to back to back to back and still be able to make it through the playoffs. So, um, you know, all those things have to go in. So it's like 59 little micro heroes journeys in a short answer. <laughs> it's like 5D chess, but then extrapolated to 59 bots. <laughs> yeah, on the fly across eight days. Oh my gosh. You know. Wow. Well, thank you for doing what you do because I, I think only a select few people in the world could, could manage that. So, um, all right, so we have a, a big, big question here from Alexander Archer who wants to know, what can we expect this season? The best fights ever. It's that simple. There are some fights coming this season that instantly are top 10 of all time. Instantly. Wow. Um, which is always fantastic to say and sometimes sounds like uh, uh, TV producer hyperbole. But there is literally some fights coming that people are just going to be like, oh, my God, that's Warhead dancing on his head good. Um, that's Stinger doing a 720 good. Um, there's a couple of them, which they're the ones that, to me, are just like instant Mount Rushmore, greatest fight ever, fantastic. And they happen to some bots that I'm really excited for everyone to see in matchups like that. Oh, I can't wait. I just can't. I can't wait. <laughs> um, so, you know, with, with everything else on your plate, uh, Alexander Archer wants to know, would you ever build a combat robot yourself and compete with it on the show? Oh, my God. I would love to. I, uh, I would absolutely love to. I used to joke with Fon Davis about it um, when he was one of our judges. I was like, Fon, let's build a bot. Um and at this stage, it might be, you know, it's, it's been a very hard year losing Grant Imahara. Um, Grant, I was lucky enough to get to meet through BattleBots. Um, and I know a lot of people would have loved for him to be, been, had been more involved in the show over the years. He was behind the scenes. Um, and it, it's been a really uh, tough time for everyone. So my love and condolences to everyone who loved Grant. Um, but, yeah, I would love to build a bot. Oh, my God, it'd be incredible. Um, maybe I'll, maybe one day I'll make a, a little three pounder or something and see how it goes. Like, but you know, when I see something like Droopy at, at Norwalk, man, I really want to make something like that. That'd be cool. Oh, Droopy was so cool. That oh my God, that's so freaking cool. Like, I guess I love it, you know, and, and that's, and that also to answer a bit of another question, that's, it is like as the TV guy, who's part of the selection committee, 
Like that's what I'm looking for is I'm looking for things that are a little different things that are going, people are going to see on TV and be like, what? I didn't even think that was possible. You know? So things like that, things like Shrek and ball, things like that really from a, from a, Oh wow. That's interesting. Like that's what I'm looking for always. Um, and then there's just ones that are just like, wow, that is the best version of that. That is the best drum spinner. That is the best vertical. That's the best horizontal. There's always a place for that. Um, but people who think outside the box a bit, you know, the huge mammoth shmees of the world, um, that's what really excites me, being able to bring stuff like that to a massive audience because I know the hardcore people know it's there. But for the Discovery audience on Thursday to see Shmee, uh, versus Chuck Oprah is going to be, it's, you know, it's not like something anyone's ever seen, you know, and, and not all of them work out great. Like a Volden Overlord back in the day, um, you know, against Warhead was a great fight. I don't think everyone puts it in the hall of fame class, but to me it was doing something different and cool. Um, uh, and I'm happy to say that, uh, bots like Shmee and Huge and Mammoth do a really good job, um, nowadays in the box. So that's, it's awesome. I love it when we get to kind of push it forward. Yeah, uh, we've been big fans of SME since, you know, the, the Norwalk Havoc days. So when they got accepted onto BattleBots, I mean, we were, we were just so excited. I, I can't wait to see what it does because I, I truly don't know how that <laughs> will scale up to a heavyweight. And I am just excited to see. <laughs> but that's the thing, Lindsay. You think then when you're trying to schedule a fight, that's, that's basically the fun job I get is who should SME go up against? And you don't want to give them, you don't want to give them the, you don't want to give them a little bot straight away that they could engulf, you know, um, because that's too obvious. So at the end of the day, something like Sharko made a lot of sense because I was like, wow, you've got a really cool anamorphic bot that people love. It's a little bigger than I'm sure Shmi would have liked first off, but it kind of shows you the, uh, the cool, awkward, uh, just, it's not like anything you've ever seen before. And that's what I love that the show can do. I love it. I love it. So we have um, some questions here from Kraken captain, Matt Spurk. Uh, a few of them are, are just about the changes over the years, which I think we covered, but I do want to ask his question about how did COVID make the event different this year? I mean, in so many ways, I mean, you know, I think I detailed earlier what my day looks like generally when you take my interaction out of the pits, it makes my life really hard um, because not getting to go to pits and talk to builders and find out how they're going. I mean, that's, that's part of it. You know, as, as a data guy, as a standard deviation, you know, outlier mean kind of guy, um, that's what I need is I need data. I need to talk to people. I need to see how they're going, what they're liking, what they're hating and so when you take that away from me, when I couldn't walk the pits uh, this season, it was really hard and I had to rely on people like Peter and, and Greg so much more than ever, um, you know, and I didn't get to go out the back and say well done when people had an epic fight or when someone decided to keep going, even though, you know, um, just to give us an incredible match. And so I really miss that. Not having a crowd was so different. The energy, you know, really thankful that we came up with the idea of having the builder boxes uh, so the builders could watch and kind of be a bit of an audience for each other. That was great to get some energy in the arena, but it doesn't compare to 1,200 people screaming and, and hollering. Um, 
So the crowd and the lack of interaction with the builders for me were the two big ones, but I'm very happy to say it hasn't affected the quality of the TV show, which is the main thing. Wonderful. And then uh, he, he adds, Oh, also uh, I forgot hashtag season six. (laughs) I mean, from his mouth, let's hope. I mean, you know, that's, that's the goal of all times for us is to hopefully, unfortunately a TV business doesn't work like that. You know, like, You've got to see how the ratings go on Thursday. And then, you know, Discovery is an incredible partner. They've been amazing and very understanding of the show. And they're big, they're just as big advocates of the show as us. But generally, shows don't get picked up until the end of the season. Um, and they take into account all the numbers. So, again, we always have to walk that tightrope. And that's, that's the tightrope we'd love to stop walking is we'd love to know we've got, say, three seasons coming because then that opens up so many opportunities in terms of a permanent box, planning it better with the team so that, you know, obviously COVID threw a wrench in everyone's plans. Um, We weren't able to have a whole bunch of teams we wanted to have, Um, you know, and and everyone. COVID has been such a a dire thing for the entire globe. Um, In no way do I want to lessen the importance of what everyone's going through on a personal health level financially um etc this is this is battle bots at the end of the day but that real life stuff does impact all our builders and who could come and who got left behind and how much time got spent on the bots and everyone who came it's just uh, it, i'm blown away by everyone who came and i can't wait to see everyone who couldn't um yeah it, it's been a crazy year crazy sure has um we we have a question that i i really like here from dominic Waite, who asks BattleBots, robot wars and other robot combat shows have inspired so many people to get into engineering and robotics with every season the teams are getting more professional and the robots more sophisticated and expensive do you think that this has made it harder for people at home to imagine getting into the sport themselves? And if so, how can BattleBots further inspire amateurs in the future? It's a fantastic question. And it's a duality of the show getting bigger and better that I grapple with personally, because again, without things like Norwalk Havoc, without, you know, Beach Brawl, without those kind of things, you need somewhere local to fight to get your chops, to know what works and what doesn't. And I, I, my, one of my fears is that the big show is so glitzy, so incredible. Some of these bots are worth so much money. You know, it, on some level, I worry that a 10-year-old watching goes, oh, man, I'll never be able to do that when that couldn't be further from the truth. And what I love is shows, you know, podcasts like this, the Reddit forums, the BattleBots forums, where everyone is so welcoming of new people and new ideas. Um, and that's where, you know, very fantastically, we've got bots like Rusty and Jackpot this year of people who just went to the garage and started building. Um, you know, not everyone who does that's going to make it on BattleBots, but here's two examples of people who did and pulled it off and they're going to be really uh you know quite famous builders by the end of this season um you know who just had a dream you know uh ricky and mammoth you know um it it started with him just watching and thinking could i do that you know and now i mean i couldn't imagine the show without him um so that's hopefully people see that that there is new blood every year 
and we try our best to highlight isn't like and say isn't this amazing isn't this incredible that people come like this year we got tyler and perfect phoenix you know an 11 year old coming in now i i was fortunate enough to see him at robo games a few years like kids incredible um but the fact that people see someone like themselves i think is the important part of inclusivity and that's personally i we like to try to do the best we can to get everybody in the door so men women lgbtq uh you know every every single person is welcome at BattleBots, and so i hope that comes across in the show but we can always do more in turn especially with the feeder leagues i think you know and it's something that i know BattleBots inc always wants to do like bots like you know BattleBots iq was really successful back in the day and you look at the people who have come through that system who are now mainstays in BattleBots. um you know, I think I'm hoping that the heyday is still in front of us and this is still just the beginning. I love that. So we have a question here from Monsoon Captain Tom Brewster, uh, yep. who asks, can't wait for the new season. Someone in the UK really needs to broadcast it. Uh, also, <laughs> also can't wait to bring the new Monsoon for the next one. And I was honestly gutted that we couldn't make it. Uh, has there been any talk of a BattleBots UK slash EU or something similar? Rumor has it that there might even be an unused arena somewhere in a Scottish <laughs> warehouse. I've heard about that. Um, I mean, we would love to. Obviously, Tom Gutteridge, who is a fabulous EP on the show, um, who was part of Mentorn back in the day, well, I mean Mentorn back in the day, who made Ra uh, Robot Wars, um, who's now an EP on the show, um, has his British has deep roots there, um, and he's responsible for a lot of the international sales of BattleBots and things like that. And he'll shoot me for not knowing off the top of my head how many countries, but it's well over a hundred that BattleBots is in. You know, we'd love to be back in the UK market. I think you know the UK builders are so important to us. You know, and whether it's Monsoon, Dave Moulds, I can't. You know. We were fortunate enough to have Alan back in season one bring over Chronic that no one ever really got to see, um, you know, but we were, you know, we were, you know, what felt like two weeks away from potentially having, um, you know, Orion here, which would have been, you know, kind of a version of Apollo, which would have been great. So, I mean, I, I the UK builders for me just had so much great uh, history and perspective to the show, the different platforms. Um, it's just great. And then the Monsoon guys are just fantastic. And uh, it broke our hearts when they couldn't come as well. But we look forward to seeing them hopefully in season six. Absolutely. Um, so we have a question from Hypershock team member Colin Royster who asks, who's your favorite bot? Hypershock? Always Hypershock is the answer. Um, uh, you know, I, I deliberately don't play favorites um, because I think of everyone in the building uh, it's probably the guy who's uh, scheduling a majority of fights should be the most agnostic. Um, but Will Will and the team is amazing. I love Hypershock. Um, and they they join one of the – Will Will has been a friend since season one. Him, Mike and Andrea, Paul, Mark, Ray, um, you know, Matt and Wendy, Reason and Xander, so many people from back then – helped me when I knew nothing to understand the world. And uh, Will has got the biggest heart and the biggest brain. 
of almost anybody. And I just love that bot. I love what it does. I hate that it fails so many times, but I know he does too. And uh, I, I'm always like, dude, you were, you were 30 seconds away from being white force. You jerk. Um, so <laughs> I guess he goes from not, you know, he, he can, he can take on literally the guy at the top of Mount Rushmore and they beat him. And then sometimes he beats himself. It's crazy. That is the, that's the tail piper shock right there. <laughs> exactly. That's the blessing and curse of Will Bales. Yeah. Um, so we ha- actually have a question from Hyperdrive superfan Michael Bycroft. Um, and he wants to know, Hyperdrive was phenomenal, by far one of my favorite shows ever. And I loved how similar the style was to BattleBots too, which is one of the main reasons I enjoyed it, I think. We all know way too well uh, that horrible between-season uncertain feeling as BattleBots fans. So if there was even a tiny chance, you might be able to ask him whether there are any plans for a second season of Hyperdrive that would stop my hopeful heart from anxiously fluttering. Hashtag, we want Hyperdrive too. Thanks, guys. All the love. Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad I'm glad there's some Hyperdrive love. I I loved making that show. Um, it's it's cool that they picked up on similarities because I feel like there's lots. Um, because it, it's another kind of sports meets entertainment meets unscripted show. Um, and again, hopefully as much as anything, it was a fact that we actually care about the drivers and their well-being and their, the arcs of their stories. And hopefully that plus the cool things we did made made people like that show. Um, unfortunately at this stage, there is no plans for a season two, um, uh, which is very sad, but, uh, hopefully, you know, we have a couple other shows in development in the car space and hopefully we can do something, uh, just as cool. Thank you. Thank you for answering that. Um, so Julie, uh, Ben wants to know, do you remember when Farouk was on MasterChef? Yes, absolutely. So that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he, uh, he was uh, part of a very uh, important scene that went down in MasterChef folklore um, and became kind of like one of the blueprints on how to edit the show was the sequence when he left. So uh, uh, I was I knew of Farouk. And then, as I mentioned earlier, when Mike Burks, who was our uh, host producer, handed me the DVD of Farouk and I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, that's the, that's the dude from MasterChef. And it was just instantaneous. He was he was the one. A true renaissance man, that Farouk. Oh, he's incredible. He is just – he is so good. And I think as much as anybody, he felt not having fans this year, I know it was hard for him because he feeds yeah. out in that energy. But, man, did he bring it. I mean, he just – he was on fire um, and did so well, you know, but even things like that, we had to redesign the arena and our whole opening sequence to, because he can't be in the box anymore. They can't be on red and blue squares. It would have been like a super spreader moment. So you've got to reinvent that whole thing. So I'm really happy with how that's turned out. And I think people will enjoy it. Awesome. 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 Uh, so our friend, the Slamo captain, Craig Danby asks, Ask him about his playing rugby in England. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Craig. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this is a great example. So, you know, I was I played a little bit of rugby when I was younger, um, and I spent some time in Worcester, which is a part of uh, the UK that's uh, a very rugby part of town, and uh, I played rugby there for a little bit. So I, uh, I've, I've had my nose broken a few times and things like that, and 
uh, yeah, those were the days uh, when I was young. Um, but, you know, again, it's a great example of how uh, Craig and all the builders, like when you get to know them on a personal level, um, that's been the greatest privilege of this whole of this whole crazy ride. Yeah. Uh, Nelly, the Ellibot weapons operator, Rara Granger, has a two-part question. Thoughts on wheels? Any favorite flavors or cooking methods? <laughs> and also, <laughs> what inspired the shift in tone from comedic and formal to a more clean-cut, sports-esque delivery of the show? Did any particular shows or broadcasts inspire the new feel? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say the feel has evolved. Back in the early days, and when I say early days, I mean our incarnation of Comedy Central. It's kind of, it's one of those rolling things. Are we season 10? Are we season 5? Are we season 3 on Discovery? There's so many different names. To us, we call it season 5, but I'm always very mindful of the 97 hours that preceded us on Comedy Central. Um, and so in this incarnation, I've got to say what inspired me and what I went to ABC and Chris and everybody with was the Olympics and March Madness and said, you know, look at the way you won't know who a track and field athlete from Wisconsin is at the beginning of the Olympics. But by the end, when they're racing for gold, the whole nation is crying with them. And that's what I wanted for BattleBots is these guys weren't household names when we started, but I wanted them to be by the end. That was my goal. And so we've slowly, we're slowly getting more towards the show that I think um, that I want, that Greg wants, that Trey wants, that Tom wants, that Chris wants. Um, every year we keep making little, you know, um, getting more pit content in, you know, having a bit more tech talk. They're all things that we're just getting to slowly bleed into the show. So uh, hopefully it's it's evolving. Um, and, you know, having said that, we've, we still find time for the comedy. We've still got Farouk. Chris and Kenny do a great job of making you feel like you're watching with two best friends. Um, and keeping a smile on your face and the energy of them is incredible. Um, so I think it's got the good comedy of the past without the kind of tongue in cheek of some of it. Awesome. Um, so Michael Johnson asks, uh, would you consider producing a new round of junkyard wars if the opportunity presented itself? And I know uh, uh, Chris here has a vested interest in, in this as well, because I know he loved that show. It's a fantastic show. It would be great to give that, some new life um and i think you know as people will see with with teams like rusty there could be some really cool uh battle bot spin-offs out of it yeah that would uh, that would be great so we uh we like to end every episode with some deeply philosophical questions from our friend and BattleBot super fan and honorary sporkanok team member mary Catherine carr um, and so she she has a, a few questions here that, that we'll go through. So uh, Mary Catherine Carr asks, Pete mentioned in, in his interview that you're a big numbers guy. So is there ever any pools going on amongst production? Um, you know what? Everyone but me does a bracket um, that all the producers and people do, kind of like people do a March Madness pool. Um, so when, when we uh, unveil the round of 32, uh, everyone has until the morning to get their picks in. Um, but it's more for the glory of being right than uh, any monetary prize. <laughs> that makes sense. I really like this question. If you could do a silly crossover with BattleBots and one of your other shows, what would it be? 
oh, it'd have to be hyperdrive because, you know, uh, Mike from Witch Doctor is a really great drifter. Um, there's a couple of really good drivers on BattleBots, obviously. Like, I'd love to see, like, Daniel Freitas remote driving a Lamborghini or something. That would be really freaking cool. Um, you know, I'd love to see the Vasquez boys, uh, you know, on hyperdrive track. I think hyperdrive meets BattleBots would be epic. Oh, that would be so, so fun. Um, she says, is there any chance we could get Gordon Ramsay on just to tape his reactions and use them as sound bites? I feel like some fights could use a bloody hell or two. Well, the good news is I'm doing them in the control room because I've spent so much time with Gordon um, that I'd, some of his mannerisms are mine too. Like, bloody hell, what are you doing? Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I know Gordon knows of the universe. Um and uh, you know, I hope he I hope he likes it. I'm you know I'm no longer around him day by day, but uh, he's a really good dude at heart, and um, I'm sure he would love it. And it would be it'd be fun. We've often talked about trying to get other commentators in from time to time to sit with Chris and Kenny, um, and uh, that would be fun. I always wanted to get Clark Gregg in there when we had him as a guest judge on season two. Um, that was a that was a highlight for me getting Clark Gregg there. Mm, gorgeous. <laughs> mm, delicious. You mm. call that a souffle? I call it a stuff-up. <laughs> uh, Chris and I have been spending a lot of uh, quarantine time watching Kitchen Nightmares. So well, There you go. Uh, so good. Um, so- and then uh, I guess her, her last question here is, as Discovery gives BattleBots more airtime, what would you like to see fill the time between fights? Are there any aspects of the sport you're interested in highlighting that you haven't had a chance to already? Yeah, we really want to highlight, for lack of a better term, the sports science of it all. And you'll see an example in episode three in a couple of weeks uh, where we'll break down the weapon of uppercut a little bit. Um, I think stuff like that, I think our fans will love and I want to do more of it. Part of the, part of the relentless schedule that I went through before is the fact that there just isn't necessarily time to shoot some of that other stuff. People probably remember our Hydra versus Bronco flipping the washing machines from season four. Like we love doing stuff like that. It's just to carve out the time when they're not competing, when their bots are actually working and can do stuff like that, um, especially in the COVID year, we were just too strapped for time. There wasn't enough hours in the day. Um, but I would love to get a bit more of that so people could understand how things work. You know, there's a lot of uh, somewhat arbitrary, oh, he's having trouble with his speed controller. Um, I'd love to know, you know break that down more for people so they can understand, so they can understand when you lose a belt, what does it mean? Have you got a redundant belt as well? What does that do to your power? Um, all those kind of things. I'd love to get a bit more into that. It's just always, is that a barrier to entry to new fans? And especially for an outlet like Discovery, you want to make it as easy for a random family switching over on a Thursday night to enjoy it as possible. So you've got to kind of just get it in there bit by bit. Aaron, thank you so much for taking time out of actively, you know, being in post-production for the show to, to come talk to us and to come talk to the, the fans of the show. We are so thankful for everything that you do and 
you know, we, we, everybody loves the show obviously so much and, and the direction it's, it's gone in over the last few years. So we, we all thank you and, and being able to talk to you is magical. So thank you so, so much for your time and, and, you know, your, your conversation. Mm, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much. And again, like, just thank you so much for everything you do with the podcast, getting out there to the, to the universe it's fantastic and uh i'll be listening after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world welcome back from the break time for robots around the world this week we are covering a bot called well a company i guess Mm. called starship uh and they are out to uh create a revolution in local delivery so i'm gonna read a a little bit um uh, from their website to kind of give you an idea of what this bot is they're based in san francisco but their main engineering office is in estonia uh, we don't hear a lot about Estonia robotics, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but they believe their robots will revolutionize food and package deliveries, offering people convenient new services that improve everyday life. So basically what this bot does is it essentially is a, like a, a, a food delivery robot um, that has a lot of um, security mechanisms in place and um, features like tracking devices uh, and whatnot. So that way, when you order food, um, you can actually like follow it on its route from the restaurant right to your house. So it's supposed to be very secure and brings everything right to your door. So cut out the need for, you know, lots of um, delivery bikes on the road or uh, people having to like go out in the snow or whatever. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy. They're, they're fairly new. Um, and they've recently passed 500,000 autonomous deliveries. So they have a, what looks like a proof of concept. It looks like, you know, they have been able to prove that this is something that's usable out in the field. Um, and it can actually carry up to 20 pounds of groceries, uh, or, or about three shopping bags and can travel up to four miles round trip. So it's actually a pretty far distance compared to, you know, what, what I would have expected it could do. I don't know how much 20 pounds is in terms of like groceries, but if you're looking for a food delivery, then that should definitely cover it. I mean, this is a, this is like the, a thing of the future for sure. Um, and the fact that they've able, they've been able to, you know, have so many successful deliveries is, is kind of cool. So uh, what, what do you think about this? I think that this sounds like I think this sounds like a really great opportunity to get yourself a new robot and some free groceries when you see it going by <laughs> on the streets. You just grab it, throw it into the back of your van, drive off with it, get the crowbar out, bust open the cooler in the back, and you got yourself some free groceries and a new robot friend. I mean, apparently it's about 100 pounds and can move at uh, a pedestrian speed. So it does seem like anybody could uh, could outrun it. 
Um, but but maybe moving it could be difficult. I me mean, it's could, that... I could lift a hundred pounds, but me and a buddy could definitely lift a hundred pounds and throw them into a van. I mean, think about all those people that like, you know, kidnap their friends for pranks and throw them into the back of the van. <laughs> you True. know, it's yeah. gonna happen. The free groceries, free groceries, and a robot. It does say that it has, I mean, whatever this means or, or, or how this works, it's, it's unclear. But it says it has sophisticated machine learning, artificial intelligence, and sensors so that it can not only travel on sidewalks, but navigate navigate around obstacles. So maybe it, there's got to be some kind of anti-theft mechanism built into this thing, right? Or it just becomes your robot friend forever. Deploy murder apparatus. <laughs> Chinese food compromised. Chinese food compromised. Oh, God. No, you're right. That is what would happen. It would just poison the food. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> food stolen. Poison the food. Like, maybe it has an incinerator inside. So if it gets off track and it knows that, like, it's not going to be able to make it to its final destination, it just, like, spontaneously combusts. Or it's got a little trap door inside and it just immediately switches the contents for uh, a cold quinoa salad. <laughs> well, that's about it for us today. We'd like to extend a very warm happy birthday uh, greeting to uh, Aaron Catling. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, we'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Watch BattleBots on Discovery. <laughs> <laughs>